Ralph, what a welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's great to be here. Um, and yeah, welcome to Freedom Sunday. Um, I just want to thank Kessed for being one of IJM's field uh, office partners in the Dominican Republic. Uh, the support that you give us as a church community is hugely valuable and a crucial part of our mission to see an end to the sexual abuse and trafficking of girls in the Dominican Republic. Uh, so we're incredibly grateful for your commitment and your faithfulness to serve in this way. Uh, in the past month, 5,239 churches in 51 countries around the world have taken part in Freedom Sunday. Yeah. And today, Kessid is adding to that number, so thank you. Uh, just to give you a bit of background on my connection with IJM, I've been volunteering for IJM uh, at the Whittam office for about 10 years now. Um, it's been such a privilege for me to work alongside some amazing people, not only my colleagues here in the UK, um, but also those that are working on the front lines in our field offices around the world. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet some of them at a conference recently where IJM was celebrating its 20 years. Uh, and it was a wonderful opportunity to hear stories from some of our field office directors, uh, to hear from some of the survivors, uh, to hear about whole communities that uh, have been transformed or are being transformed uh, slowly but surely. And I was truly humbled by their courage, their determination, uh, their perseverance and their real faith in God as they um, face these really horrible situations. Um, I remember Gary Haugen, who is the CEO and founder of IJM, once saying that we may think it sounds to be exciting on the front lines, uh, rescuing people, um, bringing people out of uh, slavery and oppression, but you know, it, it is the preparation to do this, uh, whilst extremely dangerous at times, also involves hours and hours of hard slog, endless frustration, and sometimes, quite frankly, tedium. Waiting for months, sometimes years, for cases to come to court, which are then postponed at the last minute, is just one example. But these wonderful men and women, they just stick at it because it's what God has, has asked them to do, and it's their way of loving God by loving the slave, the oppressed, and the trafficked. And of course, the moments of jubilation do come when slaves are rescued and set free. So yes, it's been a real blessing to see God at work and to see how IJM has brought transformation to thousands of lives over the years. I think the first question we have to ask ourselves is, what is injustice? I expect it's a word that means different things to different people. Have you ever been stuck in really bad traffic on a motorway? There's some roadworks up ahead and three lanes of traffic are being funneled into one lane. You wait patiently, inching ahead every now and then. And after about half an hour, you finally just about getting to the bit where it goes into one lane. When in your left wing mirror, you see a car coming up the hard shoulder, <laughs> undertaking the whole queue of traffic, and it manages somehow to sneak back in 
just before it goes into one lane. How would that make you feel, honestly? I don't think many of us would sit back and think, oh, well, I know, certainly I wouldn't. No doubt some of us would honk our horns in indignation, perhaps not very Christian, but nonetheless, many of us would feel that a great injustice had been done, that it just wasn't fair. When the Bible talks about injustice, this is not the kind of injustice God means. You see, when the Bible talks about injustice, it's referencing a very specific kind of sin. Injustice in the Bible is not simply about things not being fair. Injustice is the abuse of power where someone more powerful takes from others the good things that God intends for them, their dignity, their liberty, and their life even. The book of Ecclesiastes gives a simple and painful picture of injustice. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. This is the biblical picture of injustice. This is the picture of someone who has power oppressing someone who does not. We see this in the story of King David, the beloved poet king of Israel. He wakes up one spring morning and sees a woman a couple of rooftops over from his palace. He decides he wants her for his wife. So he abuses his authority to take Bathsheba for himself. Then he tries to cover up his abuse by getting rid of her husband, having him purposefully murdered at war. When the prophet Nathan confronts David, he confronts the king primarily on his abuse of power. We could say that these are ancient texts and stories. We might like to imagine that our world today is different, less brutal, and more just. But my connection with IGM has helped me to understand that this is simply not true. Ecclesiastes and David's story are just as current in our world today as they were thousands of years ago. For example, there are currently over 40 million people in the world who live as slaves. That's more than there have ever been at any point in history. 40 million is around the population of Canada. How is this possible? How is it possible that 40 million people could be living in slavery and we don't know it? or don't fully comprehend it. We grow up learning about the abolition of slavery in our history lessons at school, don't we? Well, I can assure you slavery still exists. And although this is not my world and it's not your world, the world of a slave is unimaginably awful and very, very real. And this is the world of Liana from the Dominican Republic. And we're going to watch a video clip of her story. So I'll come and It is no good to eat alone. Food is meant to be sure. These days, I mostly eat with my grandparents. I wonder if I will ever 
eat with my mother again. Dear mother, it's been a while since we've seen each other. There are so many things I want to ask you. When I was growing up, I wondered why I lived with my grandpa. Why was I not with you? Where were you all those years? I didn't understand that you were hurting yourself and hurting our family. I didn't know that was why you were away. Do you remember the summer of my 14th birthday? I thought this is what my life should be. You and me together. So when you ask me to live with you, I say yes. I didn't know that you were so broken. of being your daughter, being with you my mother, meant I was supposed to be safe, but everywhere you took me, I wasn't. Being with you made me afraid because you threatened me, because you sold me. I wish you have loved me enough to protect me. Something inside of you must have hurt too. Did you know that I pray for you? Dios mío, te pido por un milagro. Por favor, hazme el milagro de que mi madre mejore y deje todas sus adicciones. Dios mío, por favor, haz que este dolor pare. 
the day I go away from you. And when I finally go to tell grandpa the truth, was hard. Ever since I spoke up, everything has changed. With IJM's help, I'm now safe. The fear I had is disappearing. I'm overcoming all that has happened. hard to see you in jail, but I hope you can get better. Mother, I forgive you. Your daughter, Liana. So what do we do with stories like this? How do we respond to what we've just seen and heard and the stories of millions of others? How are we to respond to such injustice? The very best place to start would be to ask the question, how does God feel about this? And one place we could go to find the answer is in Luke chapter four, verses 14 to 20. This is the very point at which Jesus transitions from private life to public ministry. It's a crucial moment where Jesus decides to signal what his ministry, what the kingdom of God on earth will be about. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his customer. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. This is what spills out of Jesus. This is what he chooses to put front and center to announce who he is right at the start of his public ministry. 
he's grabbing the microphone and stating, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, bringing good news to the poor, proclaiming release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, setting the oppressed free. One way this passage is sometimes read is that Jesus' mission was about freeing us from sin. He brings good news to those of us who are poor in spirit. He proclaims, proclaims freedom to us who are held captive to our sin. He heals us who are blinded by sin. He sets us free from the oppression that sin causes in our lives. Freedom from shame, from addiction, from low self-esteem, freedom from past trauma. And this is true and it's good news for all of us. But if we stop there, we miss out on the deeper truth that Jesus is proclaiming. In this passage from Luke, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 61, which was a very literal call to set captives free, those in bondage, those enslaved, those like Liana. And this is why IJM exists. They were founded more than 20 years ago to embody this very call of Jesus. And since then, they have rescued men, women, and children uh, from forced labor slavery in India. They've rescued young boys from slavery in the fishing industry in Ghana. They've advocated for widows and orphans in Uganda who've had their land stolen from them by bullies. They've advocated for men in Kenya who have been imprisoned for crimes they haven't committed due to corrupt policing. And they've rescued countless children from sex trafficking, sexual violence, and online sexual exploitation. Not only do they bring rescue, they restore survivors through their aftercare programs. They bring criminals to justice so that they can't keep doing what they're doing. And they work to make sure that laws against slavery are enforced by strengthening justice systems. So that's why Liana's story, which we heard and saw a few minutes ago, did not end in despair. Even when Liana's mother threatened to kill him, her grandfather was brave enough to report the crime to local authorities. And within weeks, officials arrested Liana's mother and referred the case to IJM. IJM's legal team worked with local prosecutors to put her mother and her accomplices on trial. Liana lived in a safe house run by IJM partners and IGM's aftercare team provided her with counseling and trauma-focused therapy, beginning a long journey of healing that will continue for years. And after the longest two years of her life, Liana is able to dream again. As you saw in the video, she's dreaming about becoming a lawyer or a doctor. This story of rescue is amazing but it can also seem like a drop in the ocean when we think about the 40 million. But I can assure you it isn't. IJM are experiencing miraculous transformation around the world. Uh, they work in nearly 20 communities throughout Africa, Latin America, South and Southeast Asia, and are not only seeing freedom for individuals caught in slavery, but real freedom for whole cities and even countries. Uh, for example, IGM did a project in the city of Cebu in the Philippines to combat sex trafficking of minors. And after five years, they witnessed a 79% reduction in the numbers of minors being sold for sex. This is massive. 
the Filipino government then decided to scale this strategy to several other major metropolitan areas. And by the grace of God, in the span of just a decade or two, we've seen the near eradication of sex trafficking of minors in the Philippines. Uh, and in C Cambodia, a country that used to be considered ground zero for paedophiles and sex tourists, IJM has seen a 73% reduction of minors sold into the sex trade in the three locations in which they were active. There are certainly other challenges to face in both Cambodia and the Philippines. But let's pause for a moment and acknowledge that there are thousands of girls and women who will now never be abused in the first place. Every day we move closer to seeing the end of slavery in our lifetime. And from the perspective of the mission of Jesus, this is precisely what happens when the church stands up to the call that Jesus issued in Luke chapter 4. It's a call to go after the lost sheep, to care for the downtrodden and the marginalized, and to cross the road for those who've been kicked to the curb, forgotten and abandoned. Which brings us back to us, you and me. What can we actually do to make a difference? Because if you're like me, I start to consider the massive need, 40 million, and the amazing but complex solution that IGM has come up with, and I feel a bit overwhelmed. And it's times like these that I remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus has gone off to a remote location to teach. He teaches all day long, and now it's late in the day, and there's no food. The people are getting hungry. The disciples come to Jesus and let him know the situation. They say, Jesus, stop teaching and send the people home so that they can get something to eat. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? How does Jesus reply? He says simply, you feed them. But it doesn't end there because the oh-so-patient disciples give it another go and say, well, this is a summary. You see, Jesus, it's, it's nice that you want us to feed them all, but you see, there's probably more than 5,000 of them, and it would take half a year's wages just to feed them all. And we just don't have that kind of cash on us. And even if we did have that much money, we're in a remote location, and there isn't an Aldi for at least 100 miles. So... Back to you, Jesus. What do we do? Isn't this precisely the situation we find ourselves in today? We're trying to learn to love like Jesus, and Jesus has put a seemingly impossible need in front of us, the need of 40 million slaves. And we're thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus, ending slavery is a nice idea. But frankly, we just don't have 